Welcome back to the Herb Monk, Dr. Pedram Shojai. Happy to be back podcasting. It's been a minute. Um, you know, the world is uh, a crazy place, but only if you see it as crazy. You know, if you are staying under your breath and doing what you need to do for you, then your priorities stay focused on you. And that's where I want to kind of bring the show back today is, look, uh, my grandmaster used to always say, within 15 feet of where you're standing, there's a remedy to whatever you're suffering from uh, when it applies to, you know, being standing out in the woods somewhere, right? And so my guest today is Evan Cohen, who uh, wildcrafts herbs and has all sorts of really cool stuff that she does around that. And I just, I, I think it's such a cool pastime, such a cool thing to do is to know the herbs around you and know what you can find to help yourself immediately. So without further ado, welcome to the show. Hi, glad to be here. Yeah, cool. So how'd you get into wildcrafting in the first place? Yeah, so I got into wildcrafting and cultivating herbs through going to herb school in Madison County, which is just right outside of Asheville, North Carolina. Um, and I went to an herb school called Terra Silva Herb School. And during that time, it was about five years ago, I lived in the woods for six months and started developing a relationship with the plants and then have just never looked back, have been just deepening my relationship with herbs and flowers and wild medicine all around me in the most biodiverse place in the country. So hold on. Uh, a lot of people just uh, kind of stopped right there when you said lived in the woods for six months. I mean, are we talking <laughs> Tom Brown Jr. style? Are we talking like you know, loincloth? Are we talking you had a shelter? Like, give, give me a little more there. Totally. Yeah. So no loincloth. Um, <laughs> but I lived in, it was sort of like a treehouse-ish structure. Um we didn't have, I didn't have cell phone reception or um, we had very limited electricity and composting toilets and spring water. So it was a very much so like an immersive experience with getting to know the plants that I feel super, super grateful for. And it was about an hour um, from anything. So pretty deep mm -hmm. in there. What did I eat? Well, we went to the grocery store once a week. So Oh got it. Okay. So you lived yeah. in the woods, you didn't live off like, mm -hmm. yeah, you weren't like you know, totally it rabbits was, or anything. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. There were like occasional, you know, roadkill dinner type <laughs> things. But no, we ate grocery store food. Got it. Got it. Okay. So you're in this super biodiverse environment. You got time on your hands because you know that you you when the sun goes down, that's it, right? Um, it gets dark early and it gets cold if you're, you know, in the winter. So what do you start noticing about the plants around you? How do you start developing a relationship with Mother Earth living out there? Yeah, that's a great question. So the teachers at that school, their name are um, Janet Kent and Dave Meesters. They are just herb geniuses. They're so smart and they've been living there for 10 plus years at this point. So they're super immersed in the biodiversity there. And I feel like something that I always come back to is called the doctrine of signatures. And that is about how plants often look like what they are for. And so I feel like that's something that is just amazing to witness when you're starting to get to know plants and flowers that they kind of speak to you in a way and they tell you what they what they are good for it. And I also make flower essences. And so that is kind of a whole other can of worms, but something that is really related to plants kind of telling you what they're for and looking like what they're what they are good for. 
That's interesting. I mean, flower essences, you can buy them in the store um, and they, you know, people just go, okay, this is the company that I get my flower essences from. But the philosophy behind them, I don't think anyone really understands. You know, there's, there's all sorts of real interesting energetic signatures and all sorts of cool stuff that go into herbalism and homeopathy and all these different disciplines. You know, these are all just buzzwords, but I don't think anyone really understands what the hell is implied by that. So what is, what is a flower essence and why is it good for you? Yeah. So a flower essence is the energy of a flower infused into water. And then that acts on your energetic body instead of your physical body, like herbs do. And so the first flower essences were actually made from dew that was dripped off of flowers in the early morning. Um, and then people started noticing that either drinking or preserving this water was changing them in some way. And so that is what a flower essence is. And it's made by um, placing a flower in a bowl of water under the sun for many hours and then preserving it with a little bit of brandy. And so then each flower essence acts in different ways. And people have seen just over the decades and generations um, patterns. And that's how it's people find out what they're good for. So the energetic qualities of different flowers have different medicinal slash mental benefits. Give us mm -hmm. some examples, if you will. Yeah, totally. So yarrow is one of the most well-known flower essences, um, and it's for boundaries and protection. And so if you know what yarrow looks like, um, it stands really tall. It has like a, a puffy kind of like umbrella-shaped um, flowers and then these like leaves coming off the side and so if you kind of think about what yarrow looks like like it looks really strong um its latin name is achillea which is for achilles tendon um and so it's seen to be the protector and that's one that's really popular because of that because you know these days we all need to be protected we all need strong boundaries and so that's one that a lot of people really gravitate towards um, another one is marigolds. Marigolds are for accepting endings, honoring death. Um, and that's one that if you see like marigolds use throughout many cultures, like through around the world, they're often used in like celebrating the dead, like day of the dead or weddings, um, things like that. And so it's pretty cool to see the way that things are used as flower essences and also like in other, other facets as well. I mean, is it intuitive? Like if I were to think like a sunflower, would that be something that is just kind of like a mood tonic? Like the, the yeah. translate like that? Kind of. Yeah. So sunflowers for like confidence. Um, and so and that is pretty clear. Like sunflowers, they just make you feel better just looking at them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of times things are like, is kind of obvious. Like you can kind of just like the first word that comes to mind when you think of a flower is often related to like what it's for or like the name, like clary sage is for clarity, like speaking mm -hmm. clearly and things like that. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Once you start noticing the patterns there, it's, it becomes like learning a new language. You mentioned that these, you know, once you kind of get the energetic signature off the flower in a bowl of sunlight, then you preserve or lock it in brandy. Why brandy? Because brandy has a low alcohol content, so it's good for preserving, but it's not going to give you like the oof, like <laughs> kind of alcohol taste. So it just has historically been used for it, but you can also use vinegar or tequila or vodka or like any kind of alcohol or preservative that you have around. 
Got it. I know that yeah. the Chinese tincture a lot in rice wine, um, mm-hmm. vodkas for different tinctures. Um, you know, the Western uh, herbal traditions, you know, I mean, Jägermeister, you know, I don't know how the frat boys took that one over, but <laughs> it's like medicinal botanicals that are tinctured in alcohol. Totally. So a huge tradition around all that. Yeah. Yeah. So that is pretty cool. Like Jägermeister is like bitters, you know, mm-hmm. so like would tra- traditionally help with digestion and like Fernet, which is a really popular liquor is also like traditionally used for digestion. But yeah, when it comes to tincturing, like just the highest proof that you can use, um, the better, but it also depends on the plants and whether it's fresh or dry and a lot of other factors. Sure. What's your favorite? Like what, what's your go-to when it comes to herbal medicine for, you know, your apothecary, if you will, people come in yeah. there and need help. Totally. Um, so I think that these days my favorite is passion flower. Um, it is just one of the most incredible plants and flowers. It looks really unusual. So it's really eye-catching when people see it, but it's for anxiety. And so that's really relevant <laughs> these days. A lot of people have been suffering a lot this past year with sleeplessness and overthinking and just having an anxious mind in general. And so passion flower is incredible when it comes to just kind of slowing things down and taking a deep breath. And so that's why I love that. I also love holy basil, which I'm drinking the tea of right now, which um, is provides calm but also like focus and is super super good for your nervous system it's a nervine and an adaptogen so it's also one of my favorites and are there particular types like you know you get holy basil on a tea Mm -hmm. nowadays but is there a particular delivery form that you like better for some of these yeah totally so i like holy basil in tea because it tastes great um, and I like passion flower and tincture because it doesn't taste awesome as a tea. I mean, it tastes okay. Um, but I find that like in moments where you're feeling really, really anxious, like just being able to take a dropper full of tincture is like, <sighs> really just provides that like moment of mm. calm. And look, there's no side effects. Uh, so you need a prescription, like, you, you know, don't there's need a things prescription. Happen, right? Yes. But as a doula, I'm always thinking about pregnancy. <laughs> Got it. And so there's not really side effects. Um, but a contraindication yeah. for, for pregnancy. So with holy basil, um, that's one that is, you know, it's disputed. Um, but there have been like very small studies done on like mice that show that it could be unsafe. And so it's one of those things where in small doses, it's probably fine. Um, but in larger doses, it's not recommended. And then passion flower, like for most people, it's super calming, but for the occasional person, it can like amp up the anxiety. So you always want to try like a small dose of an herb before you like really, really dive in. Really go deep. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. Um, there's, it's, there's a function of suppressing cortisol with holy basil and a few other things that, you know, are um, incredibly relevant in the world that we live in right now. Mm-hmm. So you're also a doula. Mm-hmm. How'd you get on that journey? Yeah. So I became a doula um, because I was an abortion doula and so I was supporting people through the abortion process with this collective here in Asheville called the Open Umbrella Collective. And so I got really involved in the reproductive um, justice world and women's health and you know everyone's health. And so then 
I was an abortion doula for a couple of years, and then I did a birth doula training about five years ago um, with homegrown families, somebody named Kama Wydock, who is an amazing educator. And then I just never really looked back. It's now my full-time job. So I am, I'm deep in the birth world here. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful world. So yes. you're, you're in Asheville, a little mm-hmm. blue speck in the middle of a Red Sea, as yes. um, we'd mentioned. Have you ever had your life threatened being an abortion doula? Has anyone tried to kick your ass? Has anyone chased you out of town kind of thing? No, not in Asheville. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's Good. definitely the people protesting in front of the clinics, but you kind of just as a doula, like you don't engage with them. That's, you know, when I don't have my doula hat on. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's, I've never been threatened, luckily. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. I mean, you, you focused on rape culture, crisis intervention, consent, um, abolition work. I mean, you've got a, a really interesting bio of some of the, you know, kind of social slash justice work that you've done. Yeah. And, I mean, talk about, you know, the front lines is being an abortion doula. For sure. Yeah. And I feel super fortunate to have worked at a clinic called FemCare that no longer exists. The doctor decided she didn't want to be on the front lines anymore and now does more of like the behind the scenes um, work. And so that was an amazing experience to be on the floor in the clinic there. But unfortunately, the Planned Parenthood in Asheville hasn't allowed doulas to be back um, with people having abortions. So I've mostly been providing education ever since I haven't been able to be actively with people during abortions. So I help people just know kind of what to expect and just find any sort of information that they need to make an educated choice. Let's talk about that process and like just this concept of abortion doulaing. I mean, there's this real psychological disconnect in a lot of people that are like, you know, listen, un- unwanted baby for various reasons. Maybe, maybe it was a rape. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was, you know, there's a lot of reasons why people, you know, don't want the responsibility of raising a child for the rest, you know, 18 years. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is the psychology of going in and being a doula and, and being a part of a process that, that can bring beauty and, and closure to this versus get it out, right? Like it just seems like such a, a powerful trans, translational thing to do. For sure. So I guess just to like define doula, a doula is somebody who is a support person, like a non-judgmental, unbiased support person who provides information, education, physical support for anyone going through any experience and in this situation abortion um and birth so yeah as an abortion doula really just showing up for somebody however they need you to and some people are like i need you to distract me like i need you to tell me about the last tv show that you watched and every single detail (laughs) that happened in it and some people are like tell me exactly what's happening to my body and like that is what is going to make me feel the safest and some people are like i want total silence i just want you to scratch my head like massage my face hold my hand Mm -hmm. and just like bring me some physical comfort during this time and so in any doula situation i always go in with like no expectations of like what it's going to be like in my mind is like blown every day and constantly blown by like the people that I interact with and the stories that I hear. And if anyone has like an image in their mind of like people that get abortions, like you're probably wrong. <laughs> like it's mm-hmm. literally everyone. It's everyone that you know, like could have gone through that experience, like moms and like 
older people and, you know, teenagers, like just across the board. And so just going in without any, you know, story in my mind and just meeting them where they're at. Must be a rough day's work some of these days. Yeah, well, I haven't been like directly with someone having an, an abortion in a while just because of Planned Parenthood, but it is pretty like amazing and I definitely have said like, I wonder if like I'll ever do something light, like especially when I was doing rape crisis intervention work and then segued into abortion work. I feel like then when I found birth work, I was like, okay, this is something that can bring me joy as well as like, you know, it's super, super heavy a lot of the time, but like often they're happy tears that are happening. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Lord knows we need to balance the tears. Yes, most definitely. (laughs) What drives you? Like what, what makes you get up in the morning and say, I'm going to go help these people and, you know, go, go to the dark cave with them and, and, and be a light. Yeah, for sure. I think I'm really driven by human connection um, and like one-on-one connection and interaction and making a difference in these people's lives. Like it feels so amazing to see these people go through this trans- transformative experience of pregnancy and then a witness them giving birth and then having the privilege of witnessing their child grow up and like Asheville is not a very big city. So I see them at the grocery store, or, like at the coffee shop or, you know, I used to see them more often than I do these days, but <laughs> nice to see people. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And so, yeah, I would say the human connection and then also changing people's experiences and, like helping them have really positive and empowered experiences, whether that is through an abortion or a birth. Right. Right. Yeah. Two very, two very different sides, very powerful either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone's got their reasons, right? Most, most definitely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, everyone's got their reasons. You know, it's interesting is, you know, um, we had a, a very difficult uh, two uh, preg, but not pregnancies. Our pregnancies were delightful. Our uh, deliveries were, were very dramatic. Kids wrapped in cords and, you mm-hmm. know, break her shoulder to get her out and like, you know, just stuff like that where it's like, you know, yeah. thankfully that didn't happen, but it's, you know, it sucked. Yeah. And my wife, um, you know, comes from a, a you know, generationally a family of med heads and, you know, just like you got to be at the hospital, you got to be at the hospital, God forbid, you know, things do happen. I also have friends whose kids were born in bathtubs and like, you know, with dolphins and stuff. (laughs) So like, where's that line of, you know, natural kumbaya versus, you know, safety first. And where, you know, just where's your line with that? Yeah, that's a great question. And something that I get asked a lot as a doula. And so um, I am, I mostly work in the hospital. So I would say like 75% of the births that I attend are in hospital births, um, maybe 70%. And then like 25% are b- the birth center, which is um, really near the hospital and they support like low risk births. And then I've only been to a couple home births. So home births are super rare in North Carolina, in Asheville. And so, um, because of legal reasons, unfortunately. But so, yeah, I am like all for whatever type of birth somebody wants to have. So if somebody is like, I will feel safest in the hospital and I know that I want to get an epidural and I'm fine with all the interventions, I'm like, okay, like, let's talk this through. And like, let me make sure that you have all of the information that you need to like feel confident in that choice. And if somebody is like, I want to have a water birth, listening to heavy metal with (laughs) my like best friend and my husband and my daughter with me, like 
then I'm like, awesome. Like I will be a part of that team and like right there with you. And it sounds so super specific. It sounds like you did that. <laughs> that has never happened. That just oh, came out okay. of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, yeah, I will just meet people where they're at and I really try to like, you know, take out any sort of like shame from any expectations and um, like, and hope that ne people never feel like disappointed by like getting an epidural. Like I really want people to feel just like super empowered, like no matter how their birth unfolds and like, and if it is like one of those really, you know, long traumatic sagas with like, you know, shoulder dissociations are super intense, like an experience like that, just making sure that like both the birthing person and their partner like know everything that's happening like every single step of the way. And so, and I never want anyone to like be in a moment or an experience and be like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that could happen to me. So a lot of it comes in with like prenatal support and like talking through every possible scenario, even if they are planning to have their like home birth or their birth near birth, like, okay, like, let's talk about what will happen if you need to go to the hospital and like, what that looks like. And so just helping people feel super empowered and super seen within the medical system, because I feel like that person to person and that emotional connection is something that's often missing in the medical world. I can tell you when we had um, drama in our, you know, birth room um, in the hospital, you know, we're sitting there, I'm just me, my wife and a nurse breathing and smiling and, you know, da, da, da. And all of a sudden things start beeping and all of a sudden nine people in gowns come in and basically just like bump me aside and are just, and I'm like, I, you know, like, I guess you guys know what you're doing. I'm just going to stand here like a chump in a corner. And it was very like disempowering, you know, totally you're like wow okay um uh please make this work <laughs> right like it, yes. it, it wasn't cool it wasn't yeah. I mean, cool that she lived and the baby lived their job was done uh i mean there was i mean and, and frankly there was no time for bedside manner in something like that but having right. not been prepped for anything like that it was very jarring it went from kumbaya to emergency uh rather quickly for sure and that totally happens and that is like the wild thing about birth is that things can change so quickly and you know at this point I've been to almost 200 births and I can never say that I've seen everything like I think right. I learned something new at every single birth I attend but I've seen quite a bit and so I am able in those moments to be like okay like this is what's happening like there's no time you know in those moments where there is no time for questions no time for bedside manner like a doula is somebody who's there to help you in, like very quickly figure out what's going on to reassure you if everything is safe to let you know if everything is not safe. So I'm always super honest. I never want anyone to have any sort of wrong impression of what's going on, but always want to provide all the, all the full information. Yep. yep. I mean, that's, that's what support is, right? So, yeah, for hey, sure. Well, I'm so thankful there are people like you on this planet. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. How do people find you? Um, you know, do you have a website? Help, help share yourself. Yeah, totally. So my little business name is called Big Cat Birth and Botanicals, which I came up with way before Tiger King. Um, <laughs> I am, you know, I'm in love with my cats and I'm a Leo. So the I bring the big cat energy. So big cat birth and botanicals is my Instagram. And then my website is big botanicals.com. And so those are two ways to find me. Um, and yeah, I'm always happy to provide information or support in any way that I can. 
Love it. Love it. Yeah. Well, thank you for doing the work that you do. I know you're studying with Aviva Ram. Send her my regards. Oh, she's amazing. Uh, yeah, she's great. I've had her on my yeah. show before years oh, back, cool. I think. Um, yeah, but it's just, it's great to see humans who are deploying out there and doing, you know, this type of medicine and helping people in, in such a way. It's just, it's heartwarming. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for your thoughtful questions. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you, folks. Yeah. Dr. Pedram Shojai, I will see you next time.